This morning I want to share with you a message called Me Deceived. It's almost like, uh, like no way, come on, not me, I can't be deceived. I really felt in this week I, I needed to share this message with you guys. And so uh, God, is, God is doing great things in our midst. Uh, he's going to do amazing, even more amazing things. But he's, he's just really, God is just really good. And uh, so this morning, I want to share with us to help us sort of stay on track. Stay on track. Let's say that. Stay on track. Okay. So it's about staying on track. A few years ago, I bit of a challenging time in my life and or in ministry year, and it was just a few challenging months. And I was praying the one evening, and I saw as I was praying, I saw this picture of a uh, of a Titanic sinking. A few Titanics, like that last bit where the, the, just the nose is above the water. I saw three. And in that time, the Lord connected me with pastors here in town and, and actually churches that were sinking. And, uh, and that was what the Lord spoke to me about. He, he showed me churches that are sinking. You see, the boat represents an organization or a, or a church. And um, so I saw these both sinking, and I, I so felt God speak to my heart, saying that that is the result of pride. You know, if there's pride in one's life, then you do like the Titanic. You know, you're arrogant. You think, oh, even God can't sink this ship. And you storm ahead too fast, and you ignore the warnings that there are ice caps. And, and then you strike it, and you sink, and it's a terrible chaos, and people get hurt. And, uh, <clears throat> and that's sort of how deception works. It gets you off track, and then you hit that iceberg. So each of our lives, each one of us would also be like a little boat. Your life represents a boat. And so you, you also need to determine as an individual, are you on track or are there areas in your life that you're actually being deceived? So we're going to be checking our hearts. We're going to take a look at our hearts this morning. We're going to, going to give you a few keys to actually see, to reveal your, to yourself if you are in, a, in an area or another deceived and so uh, for us as a church, I'm, I'm preaching to ourselves this morning that we must stay on track, that we must walk humbly, that we must keep our eyes on Jesus. And uh, so do you believe there's evil in the world? It's clear. There is evil in the world. There's so, much, so many horrific things happening. And, uh, and, and, and one of the key schemes of the enemy or of evil in this world is deception. The devil is called the deceiver, so he uh, is cunning. His Bible says that he's cunning. He's like a serpent, and he comes to deceive. He comes to lead us astray. He comes to whisper in our ears. You know, you often see those cartoons with the angel on the one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. Little devil. And then he whispers things. And then the person had to decide, which way am I going to go? And that's how the enemy works. So he, he comes and he plants thoughts and ideas in our thoughts, in our minds, in our hearts, to get us off track, to, 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 to lead us astray. I've shared this before, but one of the most powerful analogies for me is, you know, you're standing on the edge of a cliff. It's like uh, I was on a student council at the University of Stellenbosch some years ago, and there was a guy that was standing for the student council, going through all the elections, a whole two, three weeks election process, 
And this guy was a bit of a joker. So he came and he said, in previous years, we have come to the edge of the cliff this year with me. We will take one step forward. (laughs) He was quite funny. But uh, (laughs) he actually got elected because he was funny. And... uh, (laughs) <laughs> so who says you need to be serious to get into politics? You, uh, yeah, anyway, so point being, when you're standing on the edge of a cliff and you are about to jump or about to go off, the enemy doesn't want to push you off. He wants to deceive you to jump yourself. That's how deception works. Evil doesn't enjoy destroying by pushing us off the cliff. Evil actually enjoys destruction by deceiving us to jump ourselves. That's, uh, I don't know if anyone's, anyone's seen the movie The Dark Knight, one of the Batman movies, one of the series, but the Joker in that movie is such a brilliant example of evil. He doesn't, he doesn't want to kill you himself. He wants you to destroy yourself. He wants people to destroy one another. And that's how the enemy works. That's how he, that's why he enjoys destroying marriages. He enjoys destroying relationships. He loves to sort of put a few things into the mix. Then he steps back and a, a husband and a wife starts destroying one another. That's what the enemy enjoys. And so we need to know how the enemy works so we can, can counter that. So in Matthew 24, verse 4 to 5, Jesus brings a, a deception warning. A deception warning. It says, and Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Say, take heed. Take heed. Be careful that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So in this case, he's saying people literally come and say, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Do not be deceived. Uh, A while ago, I, I received an SMS on my phone from the municipality. So friendly of them, they SMS me and said, be careful this afternoon, three o'clock, heavy storms are coming, drive carefully. How's that? Thank you very much. And so in the same way, did you, do, you also, do you also get those SMSs? It's only the important people that get the SMSs, it seems. But that's like a storm warning. It's like, watch out, this afternoon at three, drive carefully, heavy rains are coming, be careful. Take heed, storm warning. And so in the same way, Jesus is saying, guys, deception warning. There are challenges coming in the future and you need to be aware. You need to be aware that you can't trust every voice. You see, people can use scripture, the Bible, to back up almost any argument you can think up. They can, you can actually find a scripture that sort of might sort of say that, to back up their stance. So just because it's scriptural doesn't mean, or just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's true. For instance, when Jesus was in the wilderness, the devil came to him and tempted him, and then actually quoted scripture at him. So just because it's scripture doesn't mean it's true. Note to self, whenever you find the devil preaching, don't listen to the message. Don't listen to the message. Because see, it's more than just what he said. It's what, what is the spirit behind what is being said. You need to determine the spirit behind it. 
You will not necessarily be able to find deception just in what he said. Is actually what is the spirit behind it. Don't trust the message. Anyway, so that's part of why we do Bible school is to equip, equip the saints to know how to discern. 1 Corinthians 3.18. Let no one deceive himself. So on the one hand, Jesus is saying, watch out that people don't deceive you. You can't just trust anyone. But beyond that, be careful that you don't deceive yourself. And I think that's even more scary and more dangerous. The self-deception. You see, I think sometimes we come to God, we come to church with a box, a predetermined box in our minds, in our, in our hearts. It's like, okay, God, I need you, I need help, but um, I only want you to speak to me about this area and this area and this area. These are all off limits. Then you become vulnerable to deception. Because you, you're literally saying, God, you're only allowed to address these areas. You're not allowed to address these areas. And you're probably going to get deceived in that area. So how do you come to God? Do you come with a, God, whatever you want. Any area you want to touch. Any area you want to speak to me about. I am open to that. Predetermined. Predefined box. Are there limits? Are you putting limits on your relationship with God? Are you putting limits on what God can speak or allow to speak to you? John chapter 18, 37. I just want to lay a foundation. I'm going to get into the practical. This is Jesus just before he's crucified. He is standing before Pilate, the, the Roman governor of the region. And so then the, 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 the Jewish leaders have accused Jesus. They've told Pilate that he needs to die. And so Pilate is interrogating him, asking him questions to find out what's going on here. Then Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? You'd think that would be a modern day, modern day version. What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Fascinating. So here's the Roman governor that seems to be a modernist, clueless about, is there something like truth? He's like, what is truth? It's like, he's saying, I don't even know where to start. You used to speak about truth. I don't even know where to start. And then he goes out and he tells the Jewish leaders, this man, I find no wrong. But if you go to the other guys, you will find them saying, this man is evil and he must die. Now I'm going to explain to you why they actually said that and why they hated Jesus so much. But the question is, what is truth? 2,000 years ago, this governor had this question. And I think many of us wrestle with the same, these same questions today. What is truth? Which voices should we trust? Am I deceived? Am I not deceived? How do I, can I actually know if I'm deceived or not? Who should I listen to? There's so many voices speaking to us. Do you know that you can't trust every voice? Well, actually, I don't say most voices you can't trust. 
99 out of 100 voices you can't trust. It's amazing. Every time I read a newspaper article that I actually know the facts, then it's wrong what they are writing in the newspaper. It's amazing. So, you see, most areas of our lives, there are it's, ideologies behind what we say and what we speak. Ideologies. There's a pre a, pre, a precursor, there's something before, something defining how we interpret, how we filter our lives. You might say, I mean, there are things like politics, and you can't trust everyone about politics, you can't trust everyone about uh, morality, you can't, everyone has a voice about it, but it's not necessarily a trustworthy voice. I was thinking, maybe sport, maybe that's the one area we can trust. We can trust. Until you, write, you read an an Aussie's take on the game, and you're thinking, were we watching the same game? Because there's a filter, there's a, there's a worldview that, that influences how we see life and how we see the world around us. And we need to determine, is the filter correct? Is the filter truthful? Jesus said, I have come... To bear witness to the truth. So Jesus said, the main reason, the reason I was born is I have come to reveal to the world what is the truth. Why? So that you can be set free. Because if you know the truth, you get set free. If you know the truth. And so Jesus has come to reveal to us what is the true reality that we can truly be set free. So there are a few... um, I want to read, a, for instance, and when it comes to science, and uh, not every voice about science can you trust because they come with a, a, a pre-filter, like a worldview that influences what they see. For instance, here's a, a scientist called Richard Lewontin. It's not on the screen. He's a geneticist at Harvard. He's not a Christian He's a materialist. He believes only the physical realm is reality. There is no option for anything outside of it. And look at what he says. Now, he's very frank in admitting why a materialist, materialist ideology has a powerful hold on scientists. He says, our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to understanding the real struggle between science and the supernatural. Let me read that again. Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to understanding the real struggle between science and the supernatural. Because you see, people say religion and science, they're contrary. But he's saying, no, 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 listen to this. He says, we take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, like, where do we come from? How do we get here? They make up stories. Because, he says, we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism, Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. He says, moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot 
allow a divine foot in the door. So he says we, we are willing to accept a lot of stories, nice made-up stories. We have zero evidence for it, but we believe it because the other option, the only other option is that there is a God. And we will not accept that. So he says, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. So you see, that's deception. Deception is when you have this worldview that is like, uh, this is acceptable. Anything out of this box is not acceptable. Which is, a, it's deception. As that one lady says, the terror of allowing even a divine toenail to peep over the threshold is so great that these scientists are prepared to put forward theories that they know are absurd. Their phobia against religion is so profound that they would rather entertain the possibility of little green men from outer space than the existence of God. What she's saying is this. Guys like Richard Dawkins, uh, an evolutionist, a guy like Francis Creek who discovered the DNA molecule, um, They look at the complexity of life and they say this is impossible to happen by mere chance. So they are saying aliens brought us into being. They seeded this world and they stood in the name of science. It's not science. Little green men from outer space because they are terrified of even opening a little toenail to the existence of God. Okay, so anyway, so that was just sort of a sidestep there. To give you an idea of deception. Deception is, I have a prior commitment to this belief system, and anything else I'm not open to receive. I'm not open to listen to it. And deception is that thing of, you jump off the cliff. It's self-destruction. Okay, so there's a voice of truth. Which voices can we listen to? This is something I'm off, I often ask myself, if I'm reading a book, if I'm listening to someone, who can I trust? It's on the screen there. Only those voices that align with Scripture, but also the heart of Christ is trustworthy. In other words, it's more than just good doctrine. It is the heart of God behind that doctrine. I don't know if you guys saw um, in the newspaper yesterday, Daily Dispatch, front page, Uh, A church here in town that uh, there's been a big scandal. Pastor uh, was, I I don't know if it's true. It's in the newspapers. I don't know if it's true, but it seems to be true. They spoke to the the covering of these, of of the church. And this this pastor, I mean, I went onto the website, checked out the theology, the doctrine, statement of faith. It looks good. (laughs) But what the pastor has done is quite shocking. It seems that he slept with more than 10 ladies. Some of them became pregnant and they forced them to get abortions. And there's about a thousand people in that church. How's that for scary? So, your theology can be good, but you can still be wrong. So it's more than theology, it's also the heart that it comes from. So I want us to evaluate our hearts. So the whole question is, can you be deceived? You see, the scary thing about deception is that you can think you're completely right, but yet you are wrong. That's scary. It's happened to me once in my life. And uh, it, it really is a scary place. So here's a verse. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 to 10. 
It says, the heart is deceitful. Let's say deceitful. Above all things. And desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways. According to the fruit of his doings. So the scripture is saying, our hearts are deceitful. Now when you come to Christ, God renews our hearts. So you get a new spirit, you're born again, new heart, new spirit. Jesus says, I've come to heal the broken heart. So he heals our hearts. So when our hearts are in that good space, it's healed, it's in good space, then we can trust our hearts. But there are other times that you cannot trust your heart. So it says they're desperately wicked, incurably sick, but Jesus come to heal our hearts. Now, the challenge is this. You cannot trust yourself always. You cannot trust yourself always. Good example is you are in love. Passionately in love. You can't help yourself. You can't help sleep. You just want to be with this other person. Now, let me tell you when you are deceived. When you look at this girl and you see no fault. She's perfect. She's absolutely perfect. Deception warning, you are deceived. Because <laughs> there's no perfect human being on the face of this earth. But when we are in love, our emotions, so we can't trust our emotions, our emotions lie to us. And, and, and so it takes, as I say, about eight months to get out of the in love feeling until reality sinks in and then you can focus. Okay, just, just good to know. Good to know. Don't get married too soon. You get the shock of your life. I didn't marry this guy or this girl. Okay, so Scripture says, but yet God knows our hearts. So he can see our hearts and he can lead us into truth. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes alongside us to guide us into truth. He convicts us of sin and leads us into truth. It has been said. We can only get out of serious deception if we trust someone else more than we trust our own judgment. We can only get out of serious deception if we trust someone else more than we trust our own judgment. In other words, you need to have someone in your life, friends or leaders, someone that you trust with your life that can when that moment comes that you find yourself actually deceived and they tell you something, then you have to say, despite what you feel, despite what you think, trust. doesn't happen often, but there might be once or twice in your life that you will need someone to speak the truth to you. And although everything in you says, no, 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 but you only see it after you accept that and you walk the journey, you say, ah, okay. I see it. I see it. I see it as often when, you know, when, when I became a believer, my head was so messed up. I had so many worldly and ungodly thinking in my, in my mind. And so I came into church as an 18-year-old, and all the people, the different people said all these things from the Bible, and, oh, I didn't know if it's true. But I had to make a decision. I had to say, I need to trust them. I see good fruit in their lives. They seem sincere. I need to trust them so they can lead me further. And as time went on, I found to, the, the things they told me were true. <laughs> I 
I found it out for myself. But there's a season and a time that you need to trust. And so you need to look at people's lives and the fruit in their lives so you can walk the road. But do you have a godly friend or a leader or someone in your life that can honestly speak into your life and say, yes, off. You need it. Things aren't always like they, as they seem. Do you know that? Things aren't always as they seem. Especially when you have some negative history around a specific person or institution. Like church. Maybe you've been disappointed in church, hurt, offended. So now you trust no leader, you trust no church. You have made up your mind. All churches are full of hypocrites. Pastors just in it for the money. For themselves. I promise you we're not in for the money. <laughs> we would be somewhere else. But when, we've, when, when, when our hearts have been wounded in an area that actually opens us to deception. When you've been bitterly disappointed. When you have been hurt. When people have failed you. When you have met a hypocrite or two then that influences your heart. Your heart becomes defiled and that becomes your filter. So every time you meet another Christian, immediately pops your head, hypocrite. Every time you come to church, you again immediately think that same thought. They are like those. I want to say to you, there's a very small percentage of Christians who are truly blatantly hypocrites. Very small percentage. Make mistakes, yes. But blatantly hypocritical for the sake of it, No. And so, so God needs to deliver us from those things. He needs to heal our hearts. I'm trusting this morning for a bit of healing in our hearts. James 3, verse 13 to 16. So let's look at some symptoms. Some symptoms that we would find in our hearts and in our lives that would reveal to us that we are on the wrong track and we're actually being deceived. So the question is here, James chapter 3, classic. If you ever want to wonder, if you ever want to evaluate yourself, go read these verses. Who is wise and understanding among you? In other words, who of you is walking in the truth? Who is hearing and seeing correctly? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So good conduct, lifestyle. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Bitter envy. Self-seeking or selfish ambition in your heart. Do not boast and lie against the truth. In other words, if there's envy in your heart, if there is selfish ambition in your heart, know that you are being led astray. There's another power, there's another force now at work in your life. Verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above. It doesn't come from God. It's not the Holy Spirit, but it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. Verse 16, for where envy... And selfish, self-seeking exist. Confusion and every evil thing are there. Wow, I think yo, that's a profound scripture. Confusion and every evil thing are there. When? There's bitter envy in the heart and selfish ambition. It actually opens you wide. Opens you wide to deception. Confusion and every evil thing will be there. So, two tests of deception. The one is good conduct. So, hidden sins and secrets. If there are hidden sins and secrets in your life, know that you are probably in an area or two you are deceived. Because sin 
causes the heart to become hard and stubborn. Okay? You can't trust yourself. If you are living in sin in some areas of your life, you definitely cannot trust yourself. Sin corrupts our hearts. Second test of deception, envy and selfish ambition. Another spirit starts operating in our lives. When we are jealous of others, we want what they have. We want their position. It's, like, it's different um, areas one, one can look at this. But the result is this. The gates of hell are flung wide open. That's, that's powerful. Where there is envy and selfish ambition. It's like, okay, let's just I'm, I'm coming to a business. I want to destroy this business. I want to open the floodgates of hell over this place. Well, let's go selfish ambition and jealousy, envy. Let's destroy a church. Let's destroy a family. Let's open the floodgates of hell. Be jealous. You see, jealousy brings a bitterness to the bones, to the body. It leads people to do horrific things. And they actually think they are right because it becomes their deception. It's quite scary. I was... Um, some years ago, I was in the ministry for about five years, and I was, uh, I was uh, in the Belleville area. I was a church there, student pastor there at Shofar Tigerberg. And then I, I was part of planting our church, Shofar Cape Town. I was part of planting that church. I basically planted the church, and, uh, so, and I knew this church was going to rock. I knew. I mean, it was like we started with 40 people, some of the most fired up people I've seen in ages. It's, this, is, this is good. Powerful worship people, great people. It was just, I could just see visions of glory. And so we planted this church, and after a while, I, I, I got deceived, or I made a few mistakes, missed God once or twice. And, and in the end, uh, my, our leaders, my leaders told me I need to step back, and I need to hand over to a fr- friend of mine. His name is Tiens, he's the pastor there. So I had to go to this uh, all the small groups, we had all the small groups, leaders together. And so I went there and I said, guys, I've got good news. We have, a, we have now officially your new pastor. This is Tience. And they're all excited. Yay. And I really try to get my attitude right and do it right and do it godly. But I really felt this was the church I'm supposed to pastor. So anyway, so things sort of changed. And I was demoted to an administrative job for a few years and became an uh, so anyway, so I was in Stellenbosch. I was doing my administrative job. Now I'm looking at my friend Tiens, and the church is gunning for it. I mean, they are going so well. I mean, he's got many. He's got quite a few staff members, and finances is good, and the worship is awesome. The kingdom is coming, and I'm thinking, that's my church. I really had to wrestle. I had to wrestle. I like. God, this is, and I didn't know I'm going to ever be in the ministry, full-time ministry again as, as a pastor. I felt I'm never going to be a pastor of a church. So I was, in, I was in a difficult space, and I was so jealous of what he was doing and what, what God was doing. And, and I felt God told me, I'm going to be the pastor of that church. But that jealousy was eating at me until I came to a point of, of letting it go. Letting it go. Now looking back, I think, thank you, Jesus, I didn't take that church. It's awesome in East London. What God's doing here is, is phenomenal. I'm, but in his wisdom, I needed to go through my valley because God wanted to deal something in my heart. So I had to lay it down. 
I had to lay down my selfish ambition. I had to lay down my, my jealousy. I need to lay those things down. I need to pass a few tests. You see, God tests us. It's like writing your exam. And so, I had to lay it down. It's the only way. I had to come to a point where I was willing to say, God, I'm willing to serve you for the rest of my life in an administrative job where no one sees me, where I'm not preaching, I'm not in the, I'm not in the front, I'm not in the limelight. I am willing to serve you. But I just want to be part of what you are doing. And you're doing a great work through this church group. And I want to be part of this. So I humbled myself and I said, God, I am willing to serve. My question to you this morning, are you willing to serve? Are you willing to lay down your ambitions? Are you willing to lay down jealousy, lay it at the foot of the cross and say, God, only if you want to to do this, then so be it. But God wants to get to the heart. Otherwise, you will be vulnerable to deception. So, envy or jealousy, selfish ambition, question, what drives you? What drives you? What drives you? What calls you to get up? What, what, what motivates you at work? What motivates you in church? What motivates you in your life? Is it self-preservation? Is it getting ahead? Is it protecting self? Is it promotion? Is it making it? Because all those motivations will reveal what are you tapping into. And it will reveal if you are open to deception or not. Those things will all lead you astray. Our real motivation is to be, God, because I love people. I just want to love people. I just want to bless them. I want to serve them. That should be our greatest motivation. Here's a quote for leaders. When a leader operates out of ungodly fear and self-preservation, then it opens the door for demonic inspiration. When a leader operates out of ungodly fear and self-preservation, it opens the door for demonic inspiration. Like King Saul with David. He was threatened by David, and so he tried to kill him. So it caused him to, to go crazy. He actually was tormented, the Bible says, by a demon. So it reveals it's about self. It's not about the kingdom. It's about self. It's not about loving people. So let's look at why Jesus was killed. Matthew 27, verses 16 to 18. This is Jesus with Pilate again. It says, And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. So why did they kill Jesus? Because of envy. The religious leaders were so focused on preserving self, preserving their authority and their power and their influence, that this young upstart, 30-something-year-old, 30 threatened them. And so they envy took, took hold of their hearts, selfish ambition, and then they did horrific things. You see, envy and selfish ambition leads us into that place of deception, blinded them. So I want to look at seven, just quickly, seven signs of walking in the Spirit. Back to James 3, verse 17 to 18. How do you know when you are, your heart is right? 
How do you know when you're in good space? We're going to check if there's open door. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Say pure. Then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So seven things you can actually test before I go into it. It's fascinating that a man with an encounter is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And a man with an argument is just one step away from changing his argument. He's just one encounter away. A great example would be the Apostle Paul. He was a religious leader or Saul before he became Paul. A religious leader, a Pharisee. He has heard about these Christians. He has heard about they preached that Jesus has resurrected and all this nonsense. And he hated them. He despised them. He went out and he tortured some. He put them in prisons. He killed some of them. He was passionately following his, that this is the right path. Until on his way to, uh, on his way to, to find more of these Christians. He met Jesus on the road. Jesus, after rising into heaven, met him, flung him off his horse, or donkey, or whatever it was. Flung him off, he fell to the ground, and he said, who are you? Who are you? And then Jesus said, I am Jesus, the one you persecute. And he had that encounter that flipped his life around. And he became the greatest fighter for Christ and for Jesus. A man with an argument is one encounter away from changing his argument. And the same for all of us. Okay, so quickly, just very quickly. First, Pierre touched on that. Is there purity in our lives? If there's blatant sin, you're probably open for, for deception. Secondly, peaceable. When our hearts are in good space, then we, are, we have peace in our hearts. When you lack peace, you're vulnerable to deception. You need inner peace before you can extend that peace to others. So, question for you. Are you argumentative, quarrelsome, just like to argue about things? Or are you peaceable? Because that can also reveal a stubbornness. If there's stubbornness in us, in an ungodly way, we're also vulnerable. So here's, here's a key to deal with this. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Okay, so we're checking our hearts. It says there, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's a tough verse, Jesus. I wish you didn't say that. But why is it so powerful? You see, we need to live loosely. If you live loosely with your job, if you live loosely with your career, if you live loosely with your money, if you live loosely with material things, you're not as vulnerable because you can step away. You can step away. Okay. So live loosely. Third one, gentle. Are you gentle? I've picked this up in my own life when I just suddenly, I'm, like, I'm very irritable towards my family. It's happened 
think of a while ago, uh, I just realized, yo, I'm just so irritable. I'm, I'm not gentle with my, with my wife or my son. And, and I realized something's wrong. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. So how are you with your spouse, with your partner, with your children, with your friends, with your colleagues, the people working for you? Are you harsh? If you are harsh, again, your heart is not in a good space. Short temper also reveals you're in the flesh. Fourthly, willing to yield. Are you willing to yield to leadership, to authority in your life? That's a good test. Are you always anti-authority, anti-leadership? You know the best. You always know the best. Then also your heart's not a good space. Another level of this is if we are leaders, are we willing to yield to those under our authority? I've learned this a few times with my wife. I need to listen, listen to my wife. Not always, not always. But, uh, <laughs> but honestly, even if I'm the head of the home, I need to. And it's happened a few times, which even in office meetings, and then Sonica would say, start saying something. I had a different idea in my head. And I'm, no, 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 that's not a good idea, not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, And then she goes on and says another few things, and I'm thinking, hmm, well, maybe it might actually work. And then later, a day or two later, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> As leaders, it's very easy to become deceived, because you can just throw the leadership card. I'm the boss, shut up and submit. And you are vulnerable to deception because you're not open to listen to anyone. That is very dangerous. So we must be willing to yield as well. I must sometimes let go of my ideas and, and, and acknowledge that what I need for this specific context, God has hidden in someone else. So if, when it comes to your marriage, God has hidden a loads of stuff in your wife, guys. Hidden it. And without her, it's going to be a stuff up. She, what God has put in her must be revealed. You must make it part of your team effort, and then it's going to work. Okay, so God sets it up like that. We need to listen. So willing to yield. Are you willing to yield? Are you willing to yield? Fifthly, full of mercy, giving people a second chance or third chance. When we lack mercy, we, it's a sign that something is wrong. You know, I don't get excited when... When other church leaders make mistakes or sin or, 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 or fall. Because I know I need grace as well. I need mercy as well. So are we full of mercy? Six, full of good fruits. Is there a mixture in your life? Good things, but also bad things. Also reveals what's happening. And then lastly, I want to end off with this. Love. What is the ultimate test of leadership? What is the ultimate test of leadership? What is the one thing that I be, what, what, what we would stand before God and I believe he's going to ask us? He's going to ask us this question. Did you love well? Did you love well? Did you love well? I, I really believe that's, where, what, that, that's what we will be tested on. God's going to ask us as a church, did we love people? And sometimes love is tough love. Sometimes love is just saying it as it is. But did we honestly love people? Was it about loving people? Was it about laying down our lives for people? And so, this is a good test. If the overwhelming feeling in our heart isn't love, then the darkness is already overwhelming us. 
if the overwhelming feeling in our hearts isn't love, then the darkness is already overwhelming us. In other words, if you come to church and you say, I don't like these people. <laughs> Something's wrong. Something's wrong. <laughs> if you don't trust other Christians, something's wrong. If you can't love them, something's wrong. I sometimes meet people who, who were uh, not Christians. They became Christians and they are now Christians, but they don't like Christians. I mean, you've got a problem there. Because <laughs> when I became a Christian, first thing that happened is I started to love God's people. I started to celebrate who they are. God touched my heart. So love is the test. Love is the test that we are on God's wavelength. Love is the test that our hearts are in good space. When we're not loving, we are open to deception and it leads us astray. And so we need to choose to love people. This is the ultimate test of leadership. The ultimate test. And I believe this is the best way to stay free from deception. Free from deception. When our hearts are in good space. To summarize, pure hearts, peaceable, not argumentative, willing, willing to make peace with people and having peace in our hearts. Thirdly, gentle. Being gentle with our spouse, being gentle with our colleagues or people under our authority. Otherwise, we're tapping into another source. Willing to yield. Willing to let go because we don't see everything perfectly. We don't see everything correctly. And so we need input from others. Willing to yield. Firstly, full of mercy. Mercy to people, even with their mistakes, even their ugliness. Sixth, full of good fruits. There's good fruit in your life. And then seventh, love. Love. Otherwise, we walk in darkness. You can read 1 John 2. It speaks about when you don't love your brother, when you hate your brother, you are in darkness. Okay, so to summarize. Me? Deceived? No way. The moment you believe that you cannot be deceived, you are already deceived. Honestly. The moment you believe that you cannot be deceived, you are already deceived. We must walk in humility. We must walk in humility. We must surround ourselves with people that can speak into our lives. And we must come to God's word and say, God, sort out my heart. Heal my heart. Restore my heart. Jesus said, beware lest anyone deceive you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.